Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone and welcome to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. I'm Gabriella. I'm stepping in for Dina this week and I'm very excited to be talking to Kelly Chandler um, about how work-family conflict affects family relationships and family members. So Kelly is an associate professor in the School of Human Development and Family Sciences in the College of Health at Oregon State University. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, Before we get started on this very interesting topic, do you mind um, introducing yourself in a bit more detail so we get to know a bit more about who you are and why you're here today? Sure. Um, As you said, I'm an associate professor here in human development and family sciences. I teach the undergrad and graduate family classes here, family studies and family theories. So I'm a family scientist through and through. Um, But I also really am fascinated by the work context, what happens at work and how it shapes family life and and vice versa. Um, I got my PhD in human development and family studies at Penn State University um, and worked with Nan Crowder, um, who really inspired me and taught me so much about the work family interface. Um, I have two daughters. I have a 19 year old and a 13 year old. Um, so, you know, sometimes people say research is me search. Um, so learning how to, to manage work and family and trying to see what are some options um, and how to, to mi- minimize this work family conflict, um, I think about uh, a lot. So um, that's just a little bit about me. I love uh, reading and watching movies and going for runs and sports with my girls. Okay, great. Um, And that actually leads us perfectly into our next section, which is called Have You Met Kelly? Um, And that's where I ask some of your favorite things. So uh, what is your favorite book or can you not pick one? I can't pick one, um, but I did just recently read Cultish by Amanda Montel, which is a fascinating book where she looks at language used in um, high control groups such as cults. Um, I'm fascinated with cults and especially the fi- family dynamics within cults. So if you want to interview me again about that, I'd be happy to do that. Great. I'll uh, put that down. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you mind explaining some of the family or the dynamics that are within a cult or we'll save it for next time? Uh, probably save it for next time, but, um, just so many interesting dynamics in terms of, you know, gender within the family, you know, thinking about gender roles, parenting practices, um, the enmeshment in family. So there's, there's a lot there. Um, so it's been really exciting learning more about that and and developing a course on that. So interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, This is not my normal podcast. Um, I usually do one about home organization and uh, um, household management. So very different from this area. So maybe uh, Dina will bring me back on for that episode, hopefully. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what about for a movie? Do you have a favorite movie? So 
it is a 1989 movie. I believe it's 89, but it's called The Burbs with Tom Hanks. It is my go-to movie if I'm stressed out and want to laugh. And it's something that my sister and I bond over. So if you mm-hmm. haven't seen it, I recommend The Burbs. What's it about? Uh, it's this funny situation where it's a neighborhood in the, the Burbs, the suburbs, and they have new neighbors that come in that they suspect might be um, up to no good. And so then there's just all this mayhem trying to figure out whether or not they are good guys or bad guys. Mm-hmm. So it's a comedy? It's a comedy, yes. And yeah. Tom Hanks is amazing in it. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I haven't seen many Tom Hanks movies, so I'll have to check that out. Um, and do you have a podcast that you like listening to? My favorite podcast right now is called Ono, Ross, and Carrie. Mm-hmm. So you're going to notice a scene here. So um, Ross and Carrie, the podcasters, um, they go to explore, investigate cults and share their experiences. And they are so witty and captivating. It's just, it's really interesting. So um, yeah, they go and learn about different um, cults and, you know, things of the paranormal and pseudoscience tell us what they've learned and sort of their their experiences with it so it's really interesting so you could tell i'm really (laughs) fascinated by cults (laughs) i mean honestly like cults are something i think a lot of people are interested in and i think they're just these fascinating structures because um on the one hand we're like oh that'll never happen to me and then everyone i think who is in a cult thinks that and so we're always like oh could it be me um, and exactly. I think that's why. Exactly. Um, okay. Um, and hopefully your famous role model isn't a cult leader. <laughs> I would understand if you were concerned if it was. <laughs> um, no, and this may seem like a cliche uh, role model, but uh, Michelle Obama, um, I think she is just the epitome of character and just the way she exemplified being um, a supportive and caring mother and partner while also being a successful attorney and first lady um, and really championing um, uh, a fair pay act here in the U.S. um, and just so many different things, but I just really find her inspiring. Um, And my children who are um, black, white, biracial, really look to her as well. So it kind of gives that extra meaning of, um, you know, a black successful woman who has um, strong values and um, cares about family. Mm. I mean, I, I I can see how people really find and how you find her very, very much a role model. Um, I think being an Australian, I haven't had as much um, influence from her, I guess, because, you know, she's um, not in our news every day. But yeah, from what I've seen, she's, yeah, certainly a very strong role model. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, have you completed any courses recently that you really enjoyed? Um, I recently took a class called Remind Remind Me Your Pronouns. Um, So it's knowledge and skills for LGBTQ advocacy. So um, that was something I took here at um, Oregon State, and I try to take um, social justice, um, equity, inclusion courses. So that was the last class that I I took. So mm-hmm. I found that really Inter- beneficial. 
Interesting. Can you share anything you learned from that? Yeah, it was just, you know, sort of starting with the basics of, you know, recognizing really seeing people and starting with asking their pronouns rather than assuming them. Um, and just how that practice may seem so simple can really make someone feel like they belong and they can be their authentic selves. Of course, that's not everything. Um, and then recognizing that, you know, if you make a mistake, um, and misgender someone to correct it. And um, for me, it's really about this process and humbling myself and learning new things um, for advocacy, not just with the LGBTQ plus community, but also in terms of racial um, justice and how can I be a true ally? And so learning these these things from the very beginning um, to be welcoming and and hopefully people feel like they belong and are safe when they're talking with me. Mm. Yes, I think that that's something that a lot of people are trying to learn and I think need to learn, but I also don't think it's necessarily, I think it's something that we have to continually learn. It's not something that's ever going to end really. So um, it's great to see that you're continuing your education and um, yeah, I'm trying to continue as well with that. Um, yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting, I think, um, if it does come up in our interview, I'm not sure if it will, um, but yeah, that'd be interesting to see if it does come up today. Um, so getting into our interview now, into our main topic, um, I like to start with a few definitions to sort of get us off, um, started on the right platform. So we know what we're talking about. Um, so the first thing that I'd like to know is what do you think a family is? That's a great question. I actually spent the first week of my undergrad family studies class uh, talking about that and the many different ways that family is defined and what the implications are, are for that. So talking about the, you know, the family as an institution, what is the family's role in society, the legal definition of family, right, in terms of benefits, uh, and then also the personal family. Um, and with the increasing complexity in families, um, trying to find a definition that's inclusive of all families can be, can be challenging and not all those definitions fit. Uh, one option is looking at um, two or more people bound together by um, biology, law, or uh, an emotional connection. And so I really like that because it, it does open um, it up to being more inclusive uh, of families. Because um, there's often this default of this nostalgic idea of a family um, of, you know, white, middle class, two parents, you know, two children, you know, intact um, heterosexual families. Um, and so that's really problematic. So the idea is to try to think about all the different types of families and how can we be inclusive of them. Um, and to also recognize that there is this thing called family privilege. Uh, back to what I was just saying, you know, talking about um, sort of when the idealized image of a family, well, those are the families that have really been in the spotlight with research and policy and practice, right? Um, and so broadening the definition of family can then put a spotlight on other families, such as LGBTQ plus families, families of color, um, that really need more attention in the research uh, as well as policy and practice. So, mm. 
I know that with science there has been um, a focus, I guess, on a certain type of person. I think that they are male, middle-aged or white men. Um, and it's interesting to see that that sort of same um, bias has come into family research as well. Um, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, yeah. So, and you also mentioned as well that um, the way that the family interacts with, I guess, society. So how does that interact? Because, yeah, I'd love to know. Right. Yeah. So um, for the family as an institution, it's what are those um, responsibilities of the family um, to make society run smoothly? So that would be meeting basic needs um, as well as socializing um, children. So procreating and um, having children and raising them to be productive members of society. So those are some examples of the role of family in society. But you can have a, can you have a family without children? You can, um, which is a great question. Um, but with that definition, a lot of the focus is on how do we sustain society, right? And so procreating and socializing it and moving forward. But certainly, using an inclusive definition, um, there don't there doesn't need to be children. Okay. Now, I will okay. say with my own personal life and the research that I do, I often default to parents with kids, so. I put my bias out there, but certainly family does not have to involve kids. Mm -hmm. And I guess what we're going to be talking about today, which is the work-family conflict or work-family balance, um, probably affects you know families with children more than, say, families without children. Maybe not necessarily. So maybe we can sit off and say, we're probably going to be talking mainly about families with children. I think that's fair, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. And actually, so um, on that on that note, um, what is the work family conflict or work family family balance? Thank you. Yeah. So in the work family research, there are a lot of definitions and names of um, the relationship between work and family, work mm-hmm. family enrichment, spillover, you know, integration, and so forth. Um, certainly, there are positive uh, relationships between work and family experiences. Um, And I do study that some, but a lot of my research focuses on work-family conflict. And essentially what that means is when um, the roles and responsibilities that you have at work and family are incompatible in some way. I always use the metaphor of a rope. So you're like, you're playing tug uh, tug of war. And so your work is demanding time, but your family is also demanding time. Um, and so then there's that conflict. You can only be in one place at one time or be doing one thing at one time. Um, and there's also strain-based conflict. So you uh, were up all night with a baby and you're just so exhausted. So then when you go to work, you may not have the energy and the, and the focus. Um, so it does go both ways. When you mentioned balance, uh, I've really moved away from this this term, uh, work-family balance or work-life balance, um, and other work-family scholars have too, and I'll tell you why. For me, I've always found it just so abstract. You know, I see it on these magazines and hear about it, and it's like, you know, who can, you know, everyone can have work-family balance and that sort of thing. And I'll often ask students and others, like, how do you define it? And there's so many definitions of balance. And to me, it's just really abstract. And when you see images, when people are talking about balance, it'll be like, you know, pebbles on top of one another, or the famous one is having scales 
and they're completely balanced. But is it fair, even accurate to say that um, you're going to be spending equal amounts of time in work and family, um, equal involvement, equal satisfaction? And so for me, it it sets up this um, false sort of goal or expectation. So you're not going to meet it. Instead of balance, I like the term work-family fit. Um, and that's different because it becomes more concrete. So it's looking at how congruent are your work and family roles? Do you have the abilities, you know, skills, energy to meet the demands? And do you have the resources that are going to meet your needs? And so then you can get into very specific, like, okay, you have the supervisor support that you need to meet, you know, this specific need, you have schedule control to meet, you know. Um, so for me, that seems to be more realistic and concrete. I know we're focusing on conflict today, but I think it's important to, I'm a big uh, stickler with, with terms, my students know this, because the terms we use and how we define them are so important for how we research and how we set up expectations in our lives. And so we want to set ourselves up for success. And so um, making sure that something's attainable and concrete is, is really important from my perspective. Thank you. That um, certainly clears up a lot of things um, that I was wondering because, yeah, like, some, you know, I can, I can Google something, but it's not necessarily what is actually being used in research. Um, and I think that, yeah, as you said, um, it can be very important to define terms and actually know what you're talking about because you can't measure something if you don't know what you're measuring. Right, exactly. Yeah. And if you don't know what you're measuring, then how can you make an impact, you mm -hmm. know, to improve work-family balance? Um, yeah. It's not going to happen, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can you can balance something by adding things on both sides, but it's it's you can't actually do that in real life because you're just going to be crushed. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so you're mentioning, um, so we're going to be talking about work-family conflict today. So how, how does that, can you explain a little bit more about how work and family, how they can co conflict with each other? You mentioned a little bit about time and oh. strain, um, but mm -hmm. yeah, how, how do they interact? So there's um, been a lot of research looking at, you know, what are work conditions? What's on the work side that can create um, conflict and what is on the family side that can increase the risk of work family conflict? On the work side, it can be long work hours or thinking about, you know, shift work, non-standard work schedules that don't align with um, spending time with your family. Um, whether it's kids' schedules or maybe it's, you know, taking an aging parent to a health appointment. Um, it could be the just um, physical aspects of the job that are really exhausting. So when you come home, not having like the energy maybe to, to keep up with um, spending time um, or just really emotionally draining and then not being, you know, psychologically available at home. Um, family right depending on the age of children how many family members what their needs are you know basically the more caregiving responsibilities that you have can make it more challenging um, to have the energy um, at work um, but certainly possible right but um, having the right resources um, to to manage those um, 
And certainly if there's a crisis going on at home or maybe, you know, a partner changes a job or loses a job, all of those things can go back and forth and conflict with, um, you know, finances, time, having energy, being physically and psychologically present. And also things like having a partner who can um, help with, you know, parenting, tag team parenting and having another person or maybe it's a parent that's living with you um, to have like a, a backup for childcare, which can definitely be challenging. So those are some ways where they can kind of increase the likelihood of work-family conflict. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it does seem like... Um... As you were saying, like with balance, it seems to be changing a lot, you know, between, you know, maybe work schedules change, someone leaves, you take on more responsibility or kids, you know, kids getting sick, kids getting older, having different um, after school activities. It seems like the work life um, balance would be changing constantly. So, yeah, maybe a work balance, work fit is or a work family fit is a better term. Um but yeah, and it seems hard to, I guess, manage them. Um, I don't know how, I don't know how parents do it. Um, <laughs> well, actually, could I interrupt just for a second? Cause yeah. you raised an excellent point in that things are always changing, whether it's balance or conflict, right? So, you know, just thinking developmentally where your family is, where your kids are and what their needs are, but also looking even within a week and how your different needs can change. So I've started looking at work-family conflict on a daily level. So when you experience like the the work responsibilities you have, you know, interfere with being able to fulfill family responsibilities or spend time with your family, even within a week, you can see fluctuations with that. So I think that's a really important point in terms of trying to understand the effects of work-family conflict on families is really looking at how it changes over time. Um, mm. So I just wanted to add to that because it, it made me think of, you know, sometimes or oftentimes we talk about work and family and finding balance um, or fits. Well, it might be at that particular time in your life, given your family situation, your work situation, but things are constantly changing, even within a given day. You know, you mm. might experience a conflict and then something positive happens, you know, so um you know, life is dynamic. And so being able to to measure that and study that um, really gives us insight into the lived experiences of, of parents who are working or adults who are working that have um, family relationships. So you mentioned a bit before about how the work-family conflict um, affects family members. Um, mm-hmm. So do you mind elaborating a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So First, I just want to recognize that work-family conflict is a really potent stressor. Um, There's been decades of research, at least for the individual, that shows the more work-family conflict you have, um, the poorer physical health and mental health you have. Um, And it's even been linked to mortality. So we'll see a lot of um, surveys and news about work stress Um, But I think it's important to isolate or look specifically at work-family conflict because it really does have detrimental effects on the individual. And if you take a family systems approach, um, the the worker um, is in a family and you have the other partner. So anything that happens to that uh, worker um, at the workplace is going to affect everyone else. 
Um, so if they've had a stressful day at work, they may come home and be really irritable. Um, and so then that causes some conflict, let's say with the partner or with the kids, or maybe they're just, um, had a physically exhausting day. They come home and they just withdraw from, let's say a family meal or a family activity, um, which could make other family members sad or feel disconnected. Um, and the stress and emotional transmission can occur where stress from that conflict that the parent is experiencing, um, you know, kids pick up on that, the partner picks up on that, whether it's directly or indirectly, and then that could be related to, to their health and well-being as well. And there's research, especially looking at the effects of work-family conflict on kids. It's a small but growing area of, of research. Um, so there is support for showing how work-family conflict can affect kids' um, daily affect and their health. Mm-hmm. And so... If you are experiencing experiencing some work-family conflict, what kinds of things can you do to maybe try to reduce some of the effect? Is it just, you know, quitting your job and spending more time with family, um, losing the family and spending more time on work? <laughs> right. Um, now, that's a very complicated um, question, but it's an important one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um one is thinking about your identity and which roles are most salient or important for you. Um, so if family is more important and you have the privilege of being able to reduce hours, um, that might be a way to, to manage work-family conflict. Of course, not all of us have the privilege of reducing hours or shifting hours. Um, but it really takes a multi-systems approach for um, there to be a reduction in work-family conflict. Um, And unfortunately for the U.S., we have a lot of work to do, Um, starting with policies, right, at the the federal and state level of, you know, offering paid parental leave, um, paid sick leave. Um, These sort of um, structural uh, factors can be major barriers to individuals um, trying to you know, fit both work and family into their life to have a full life. Um, then looking at the organizations, what are the organizations doing? And not just what policies are on the books, right? But how are they practicing it? What's the culture? So there might be like, oh, yes, you can take time off to, you know, go to this event. But then really everyone else is kind of looking at you and, you know, talking about you under your breath. Or maybe the supervisor is thinking, oh, that person's not that committed. So the cultural piece is really important. Um, If you're interested later, I can tell you about a workplace intervention that I was involved in specifically targeting uh, work-family conflict. But um, so there's federal, state, organizational, also thinking about neighborhoods and the kinds of resources that are available. You know, childcare is a huge issue in the U.S. I don't know about in Australia, but just... um, having available options and ones that are affordable with good quality care. Um, And then there are also things that families can do and their strategies um, in terms of, maybe we'll probably talk about that later, but supporting one another and kind of fitting each other's schedules in a way that that can minimize work-family conflict. 
Mm-hmm. So it's definitely multifaceted. It's not just, you know, um, you know, maybe the individual needs to make changes. It's it's policy, it's government, but it's also cultural um, and societal um, community. Okay, so um, not something that any one person can can fix then. No, and that's a really important point because the onus is often put on the individual. It's, you know, you made the decision to have a kid, so now you got to figure it out. Um, and they're as planful as people are. Um, and, you know, why shouldn't people be able to have a family and, you know, be productive uh, at work as well? Um, it's just, yeah, this sort of stigma and expectation, at least in more individualistic societies of, um, well, you got to figure it out um, mm-hmm. versus having uh, multifaceted, multi-level support, um, you know, showing that there's a value in family life and that, you know, thinking about at the organizational level, especially that employees are humans, you know, and it's not just what they're, you know, doing at work and, you know, crunching numbers or whatever, but everything about their life and how, um, supportive and fulfilling life outside of work can also benefit um, work too. But I think really focusing on individuals as humans and giving them the support to thrive in both work and family, I think that's really what it comes down to, those cultural values there. Um, So unfortunately, um, so this podcast, I think, focuses on the individual. And I think that changing governmental policies and uh, <laughs> cultural expectations is a bit its a bit out of the reach of this particular podcast. Um, but I mean, if anyone is listening and um, you can vote, I mean, I think that that's one way that we can change things. And having these discussions certainly will help to change some of these things. But I'd also like, like love to know, what are some things that individuals can do to help to, um, you know, minimize that conflict? Absolutely. Um, keeping all that other stuff in mind in context. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, certainly um, there are constraints for individuals, but there are things that individuals can do. Um, one that I'm still trying to, to get down is establishing a healthy routine for exercise and sleep. Um mm-hmm. There's also research that shows that practicing mindfulness um, meditation can actually reduce work-family conflict, and that's shown to be effective. Um, one thing, um, another thing is managing expectations. So um, from the very beginning, trying to have realistic and achievable expectations versus having this um sort of dream or um, ideal that I can have it all, I can do it all. Um, Mm -hmm. Depending on how you define that, I think that really doesn't set you up for success. You can be a good parent, you can be a good worker, but what does that mean for you? And that might not necessarily mean filling up your calendar with all these activities, um, but having, you know, quality time together, eating dinner um, and just hanging out, not having to have a jam-packed um, calendar. Um, and also, you know, at work, um, what is realistic? Of course, there are these these pressures 
but knowing your own strengths and and um, areas for growth. What is realistic? Am I going to say I can have this done by tomorrow? Because if that's not realistic, that's definitely going to cause some work family conflict, right? Because then you mm-hmm. might be at home having to work. Um, another one is creating boundaries. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, some people will have um, in their emails saying, you know, I'm emailing at a time that is conducive to my work family fit, but I don't expect you to reply during this time. Um, and I think that's challenging with technology is that we're just so accessible. Um, so trying to find times where you are available and then, um, you know, depending on what your job is, um, being able to disconnect as much as possible to be as fully present, um, with your family, I think is, is important. Um, and hopefully you have a, a culture that will, um, respect that, you know, and having coworkers that, okay, it's after five. I can't expect that, um, Kelly's going to respond to me until 8am the next morning. Mm -hmm. Um, but even for yourself, uh, and these are all things I'm working on too. I'm not an expert. <laughs> That's why I'm still researching to find out how to reduce it. But I think, yeah, creating those boundaries and managing expectations and taking time for self-care and compassion. Um, those would be um, my recommendations for strategies for an individual to try to reduce their work family conflicts. Mm, I definitely find that I have that problem where... Um because I work from home most of the time. I can hear my emails going off all times of the night because um, I, I interview people from across the world and they're emailing when they're awake. It's not necessarily when I'm awake. Um, so yeah, I have to remember to close all the windows on my computer so that I can't hear it and I don't feel like going to answer my emails. Yeah, that's tough. Actually, when um after I got my PhD, um, and I was still working at Penn State as a, a research assistant professor. At that time, we had BlackBerry, so I'm kind of dating myself. But uh, I was managing this project, and I was just constantly on my BlackBerry. I'd see the light go off, and I'm like, oh, I have to respond. And it really became a problem because then I would totally, I get sucked into what was going on there. And, you know, I have my kids here, and it's like, oh my gosh, no, I've got to turn this light off. You know, if they really need me, they'll call me. Um, So I've had to do things like that for me or, you know, not having email notifications on my phone. Like this is, these are things that I've gotten to where I'm like, no, I need to create these boundaries because I know that it could affect me. Um, Mm. And then of course affect my family. And um, yeah, I just have to create those boundaries so um, I can minimize that. Mm. And what can, so that's some of the things that I think we can do for work, but what, are there any ways that families can help as well? Well, Yeah, I think, uh, well, focusing on partners, um, you know, with all of these things, I think communication is really important. Um, So being able to express that I have this concern or I have this need, or I want to share this, you know, I got a promotion or I had this, you know, really positive experience at work. You know, I felt really like valued and I felt like I, you know, belonged. And so really, you know, sharing those experiences 
um, as well as um, like really listening and supporting and trying to empathize with your partner. Um, so there's that emotional support piece, but in terms of instrumental support, it could be just really trying to coordinate. So um, let's say with childcare schedules, right? So I have to stay late for this event. Can you, you know, pick up the kids on this day? And so it's kind of like this puzzle piece, so to speak. But um, yeah, the extent to which you can sort of chip in and like, we're a team, we're gonna, we're gonna make this happen. Um, and try to let or make it so that both people can have fulfilling work and family lives. Okay. And how do gender roles um, sort of affect this this dynamic and um, work life balance or work? Um, what is it? Uh, <laughs> work family conflict. Sorry, had a mind blank right there. No, that's okay. I mean, it, it affects all of those things. Um, and this was especially evident with the pandemic because we really saw that women suffered significantly more than men in terms of um, experiencing that work-family conflict. So having to reduce their hours, um, trying to you know, be teacher and work um, at the same time because there are still those traditional gender norms where the mothers are expected to be the caregiver and the father is supposed to prioritize um, breadwinning. Um, and that really came to light um, during the pandemic. And people are still trying to recover from that. If they had to quit a job or reduce hours, you know, those can have long-term ramifications in terms of their, their careers and income. And so building on that too, thinking about gender norms and how um, the COVID-19 pandemic really brought it to light is that there's still this ideal worker image, right? So, and it is the, um, you know, white uh, male employee essentially who uh, can, you know, not have to be held down by any responsibilities, can be there at the office around the clock whenever is needed. Um, and they're seen as as dedicated, uh, whereas um, women are typically seen as less than committed, are invested in in their their work just by virtue of being a mom. Um, and women of color are even doubly disadvantaged um, in relation to this ideal worker image. So although there have been great strides in terms of um, gender equality and gender equity, um, the COVID-19 pandemic really put a spotlight on, you know, there's still these traditional gender norms that are shaping um, experiences and that's creating a lot of work family conflict for, for mothers in particular. And so I guess um, some way that we can kind of um try to combat that is through what you've said before, um, you know, um, communication with your partner, communication with work, um, having balance, but I guess also just recognizing it more in society because, um, you know, I think it's one thing to be in that position, but you can't really change much about it. So it's about, I guess, the societal change, right? Absolutely. And I've kind of, um, it's sort of been, kind of my mission, I don't know if that's the right word, it sounds 
maybe more important than it really is. But um, like recently, I wrote a commentary piece on how work family conflict is a public health concern. For this very reason, we talk about stress, but we don't explicitly name work family conflict as this stressor. And so that's something I've been motivated about lately is to get that term out there um, and make it clear that it is an issue that affects individuals as well as as their families um, and that we need to zero in on that particular stressor and what are the ways that we can reduce it and um, promote more, more work family fit. Okay, great. Uh, So you mentioned previously that you um, had a little anecdote about a workplace intervention. Yes, I had the privilege of being a part of this multi-state collaboration um, that was multi, uh, really multi, let me start over. I had the opportunity, uh, the amazing opportunity to be involved in the first ever intervention focused on reducing work-family conflict. So this uh, was a group initiative um, called the Work-Family Health Network. And we had um, people from various institutions with um, coming from disciplines like IO psychology, human development, family studies, and so forth. But essentially, all these different types of expertise came together and the intervention targeted three things. One was giving employees more control over their schedules. Um, so really thinking about, do we need to have this meeting? Are there ways that employees can figure out when they want to do work when um, that's when they're at their, their, their best? Um, also, a huge one is training supervisors to be more supportive of family life. And over and above just general um, supervisor support, family supportive supervisor behaviors are hugely impactful on work family conflict and just overall um, health and well-being. And with those t- those two things, just an overall culture change of, you know, focusing not so much on like the FaceTime emphasis, but are people getting the work done, quality work on time? And so really having having this shift. And we did in fact found evidence that it reduced work-family conflict and it improved work performance, uh, individual health, as well as family. So I wrote a paper and it showed that the intervention reducing work-family conflict actually increase daily time uh, between parents and their their kids. Um, so really there were benefits for the business, for the individuals and the families. Um, and so I'm just, again, I'm just very excited to have been a part of that. And then seeing that there can be a change, we can reduce work-family conflict and it can have just so many um, benefits. So thank you for letting me share that. Yeah, thank you. Um, I was just wondering, um, so you said that, because um, we have spoken a bit about what individuals can do, but what can supervisors do to change the culture? One is um, sort of practicing what you preach in a sense. So being a role model. So you say, you know, absolutely, you know, I support, you know, going to family events, take, you know, leaving work a little early or something like that. 
But if you never see your supervisor do that, you may question whether or not that's actually okay. Um, so mm -hmm. being a role model um, and also, you know, asking employees about their families, like, you know, how are the kids doing that sort of thing to show um, if you generally mean it, like how their, their family is. Um, and also another thing is trying to, you know, be strategic and supporting um, your employees, how they can manage um, both work and family. If something comes up, how can they address that conflict? And so really trying to, to be creative um, with that. And um, Leslie Hammer and Ellen Kosick are really um, the key people there that have been studying that. Um, so I was grateful to be working with them. But, you know, it's being a role model, showing that you genuinely care for others um, and trying to figure out a way to, to make everything work. And you won't always find a solution, but I think it goes a long way just to show that you're trying to figure out strategies to, to help people uh, manage their, their work family lives. Okay, thank you. I think um, a lot of uh, the advice that you've given has, it's it's both easy to implement and also not easy to implement. But I think the only thing you can really do, as you said, is, is just try and try and change the culture um, <laughs> and hopefully everything will follow suit. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Was there anything that um, you wanted to discuss that we might have missed? I think the one thing, and this is um, something I've been thinking a lot about is just recognizing um, that work family conflict is not the same for everyone. And that may seem, you know, sort of, you know, obvious, but I think often we we go to this default. And when I say we, I mean, you know, research, media, whatever, of this sort of default family um, or person and their experiences with work family conflict. But there are so many people that don't have you know, certain occupations that, you know, will allow them to live fulfilling work and family lives, you know, that increase the risk of, of work family conflict, or, you know, don't have jobs that give them the benefits where they might be able to take um, time off. Um, and so it's just really recognizing that there can be multiple barriers. Um, and different barriers for individuals and their families. Um, and so I think for research related to work-family conflict to continue to advance is really learning more about these unique experiences of individuals and their families. Um, so there's a real lack of research uh, related to families of color I'm particularly interested, I wrote um, a piece with some of my students about how work-family conflict is a racial justice issue because you can see the, the structural racism on the work side, you know, thinking about occupational segregation and on the family side in terms of housing and so forth and how that can just really increase the rate um, and severity of, of work-family conflict. So recognizing things like race and gender and those unique experiences, rather than just sort of, you know, glossing over that, but no, we need to take a deeper look and there's no one size fits all for a person um, in terms of reducing work family conflict. Um, 
And yeah, I just think the message is that the benefits and barriers are are different for everyone. And so trying a way to make them more equal or equitable, I think is uh, a worthy pursuit. Mm. If if you don't mind, um, we've, we've talked a little bit about how gender interacts um, with the um, work family um, conflict. Mm-hmm. What can people do um, in terms of race and, you know, um, how does race interact, but also what can we do about um, reducing that conflict? If, if, if that's something that um, you want to talk about right now, because it's, it's a pretty big topic and um, I, I think we could at most scratch the surface today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, it's definitely something that I'm learning more about. I've just been like um, ravenous with, with reading and things like that. Um, but just thinking about the, the culture, right? Um, if you think about sort of the white modes of operation within um, an organization. And so there are specific ways that, you know, um, the way things are done that might not fit with other cultures or other races, but yet they're held to those expectations. Um, Thinking about um, behavioral work, family conflict, right? Um, The way you dress, or um, how you have your hair, um, you know, accepted and, and respected and valued and revered with your family, but not at work. You're expected to maybe black women straightening their hair. Um, in the US, there's actually petitions for the Crown Act so that employees aren't discriminated based on having their, their natural hair. So there is there's some movement there, which is is really um, encouraging. Um, and just thinking from the very beginning, you know, applying for a job, if you know, if you have white sounding names, um, more likely to get an interview than not. Um, and whatever stereotypes people might have about um, people based on their race um, can come into play in terms of whether or not. They think someone has a strong work ethic, is committed, does quality work, um, and how those employees, whether or not they feel like they belong or they experience discrimination. Um, so there's a lot to unpack there. I'm just kind of like throwing out a bunch of things. It's just so complicated because it's connected to so many things from the structural to the, the individual's experiences. And so... That's another one is just digging into those layers and really seeing, you know, what are the ways that people who are racialized as black experience work family conflict? You know, it could be in different ways and ways that are important for us to understand and how they might experience discrimination at work and how that could affect their families. So mm. I'll stop rambling. <laughs> That's okay. No, it's, it's very interesting. Um, but I haven't prepared for it, so I don't have any questions that I'm, I'm that I'm thinking of uh, commenting on. But thank you for sharing that. It's it's very interesting, and I think that at the very least, we've we've brought something for our listeners to think about, and that I'm going to think about certainly, um, even if we don't fix fix it today. Um, so thank you. Um, so we'll move on to the practice um, habit debrief. 
Um, So what's a practice that you would recommend to a family um, to ensure that the work family fit um, positively impacts the the family? I was thinking a lot about, you know, what would be like one thing that I would recommend to to families. And I would recommend, I mean, if it's possible to do it over a family meal, that's wonderful. But having some time dedicated for communication and connection. So whether that's over a family meal or going for a walk, having the opportunity for each person to talk about their their day, what were their wins, what are some things that maybe they're um, stressed about, and listening, empathizing, and then coming together as a team to kind of strategize about, you know, okay, you have this conflict, how might we make that work? Um, and so I really think that open communication and connection is really important. Um, and it's an opportunity for, you know, family members to understand your emotions. You know, why are you behaving the way that you're behaving? You know, not having to put on a um, a phony smile, but, you know, letting people know this is what's going on with work. And I really want to be here at this event, but I can't. And just being honest and open and, and sharing that. Um, and I think communicating those feelings really fosters connection and intimacy with your your family um and like i said it gives an opportunity to you know come together as a team and problem solve which can be uh, a great way to you know create family cohesion um and also i think it's an opportunity for children to learn about you know um trying to make work and family fit right and so you, children can see you modeling um, how you're trying to, to manage these things, how, what works, what doesn't, but also just communicating about the sort of things that um, you're struggling with or that you found helpful um, can be something that's meaningful to, to children, not just to understand where you're coming from, but to also socialize them about uh, what it means to, to have both work and family family roles. And also um, asking kids about their work experience if they're at that age, right? So what is their, what are their work family conflict experiences? We often focus on the parents, but, you know, adolescents are working too, and they might be experiencing those, those conflicts. So having the conversation open to them as well to, to hear their experiences, I think is really important. Mm, and they can also be balancing that as well with, with education as well and having to do homework, work, extracurriculars, family. Um, seems like teens a lot, a lot these days have so much going on. Um, and I'm like, I don't know how to, I, I can barely do, do what I'm doing. <laughs> yes, I know, the very packed schedules. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing as a parent of to say, because I have two daughters and they both love sports. It's like, okay, you each can pick one sport per season. And that's like my max. This <laughs> was trying to work and be there for them. And, and so again, that's creating barriers, uh, healthy barriers or boundaries and managing expectations. But uh, yeah, it's exhausting watching them, you know, run around and do schoolwork and everything else. Mm-hmm. So anyways. We all have things that we're, we're 
managing things that are challenging and things that are fulfilling. So, yeah. And how often would you recommend you you do, you know, sit down with your family and communicate? Is this maybe, you know, every day, once a week, once a month? I think every day would be ideal and it may not look the same every day. So, um, for example, today has been a long day at work, but I still check in and text my kids, see how they're doing or, you know, send them a link to something that made me think of them. So it's still a way for us to communicate. It may not be face to face. Um, and typically we try to have family meals together and we each get an opportunity to, you know, talk about our, our day. Um, and our family likes to go on walks together too. So then it's doing something active. So yeah, it might look different for, for different families, depending on what their, their work and family circumstances are. But if there's some way to communicate daily, um, in a meaningful way about what they're experiencing and, and they're feeling. Um, I think that is ideal to create and maintain that connection and intimacy that's important for family relationships. Mm. And I think it's, you know, um, barring schedule, it, it's fairly easy to do at least a little bit of communication. Um, well, we're not asking you to, to spend 30 minutes every day um, having a face-to-face in-depth conversation just a text could be enough. Right. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so you've also got a few questions from the audience. Um, how are you feeling? Let's go for it. Okay. So we'll move on to the questions from the audience. Um, so we've got just a few today. So our first question is, um, what can you do to maintain your relationship with your family if you have to work long hours? That's a good question. Um, let's see. I think if it's possible, first communicating that here's the situation with these these long hours, but then trying to set aside some time to spend together. So it's like, okay, I've got to work these long hours, but um, let's spend the day together this weekend and, and do these things. So I think it's communicating um, and then seeing if there's like um, a window to spend a block of time together. Otherwise, I think it's finding creative ways to connect, um, whether it be through social media or texting, or maybe there's other creative uh, ways to to share. So at a minimum, doing those things. Um, but at the end of the day, if you can't reduce your work hours and spend time with family face to face, then trying to find things that are meaningful to your family, that maybe it's just sending um, a meme or something or some kind of picture or symbol that your other family member will get. And it's like, oh, they're thinking of me knowing that I have to work long hours and um, they wish they could be here. So I think those kind of things can be helpful when law work hours are often out of our control. Mm. And what about if your family don't want to spend time with you? I'm thinking about like teenagers. <laughs> oh goodness, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I think if they're, you know, how you spend time together can change, right? And so maybe asking 
the teenager, you know, what sort of things they'd like to do um, as a family. Um, and maybe it's still nothing, but still trying to reach out and ask. Um, and it's true, as, as as adolescents get older, they tend to spend less time with family. And so um, it does become more difficult for the entire family unit to be together as kids get older and have, you know, can drive, closer relationships with peers, sports, and so forth. So I think if there's a way that, you know, finding something creative or meaningful at each developmental stage um, that makes, hopefully makes family time worthwhile, but, you know, <laughs> your team still might not want to spend time with you, but uh, maybe asking, you know, what would be a way that they'd like to spend time together um, rather than this is how we've always spent time together as a family mm -hmm. and imposing okay. that. Okay, so maybe bringing in some adaptation and I guess some, some choices into the older teenagers as well. Okay, um, so uh, that's, all of, that's all for our audience questions today. Um, we've also, I think, already done the open mic, so I'll just skip that section if that's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, if people want to find out more about you, uh, where can they find you? So they can email me at kelly.chandler at oregonstate.edu. Um, I am also on Twitter or X or whatever it's called <laughs> at Kelly D. Chandler. <laughs> Yes, I'm, I'm not sure what it's called right now um, or if it's still going um, whenever this podcast comes out. Um, <laughs> hello from the past. Um, <laughs> if it still exists and if we're still using it, um, you can find all of the links for your email and for uh, Twitter on our show notes. Um, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast. Produced by the Family Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it so that we can grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at fa.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent. Thanks for tuning in.